three poems and one flash fiction by Lydia Tai. Read by Brenda Zamora. The Summer of Ebright. When I was 17, I knew a boy who told me a story I'll never forget. His name was Ebright, and his eyes were starry, deep blue. Bluer than the ocean during a chaotic storm. Ebright was taken from his parents at the young age of seven. This might have had something to do with the crocodile incident, amongst other things. His father had driven down to the swampy lakes of Florida, the Everglades, where unseen things get lost in the marshy waters of the humid, sticky heat down there. While he was down there, he met a gator that he named Eddie. Edison Rex. Eddie was a large gator, scaly down his back, and jaws that enjoyed clomping. But Joe Rex, Ebright's father, wrestled him down into a cage full of bait and stuffed him in his car to bring him back up north. When Ebright told me this story, my mouth was hanging wide open as I popped some sour gummy worms in my mouth and held my last cigarette burning in my hand that nearly dropped to the floor. We were in the basement of his grandparents' house and had spent the day fucking from four to nine because they were away on a trip out of town. That wasn't the end of the story, though. Ebright's father, Joe Rex, let Eddie run around the farm they had near his mama's house. We were separated back even then. One day, Joe here lets young Ebright, who can't be a day over six years old, learn how to pet old Eddie. Joe held Eddie's jaws clamped shut between two pale, white, ribbed biceps. The Rexes were part Irish and part Italian, and they were Catholic, but not a practicing one amongst the Rexes or his mama's family. Little Ebright steadied his little milky hand against the bridge of Eddie's head and stroked steadily, curiously, and Eddie's jaw sputtered inside Joe's bulky grasp. And Ebright smiled and laughed. Then Eddie crawled around the cabin some more. The cabin was full of snakes and reptiles that Joe had garnered from the surrounding area. And Ebright grew to love all things wild. Nothing was wilder than the summer we had that year. Back when I was 17. And didn't know what love was, even though I wanted to, so very bad. When Ebright finished telling me the story, I licked the sour gummy salt off my lips and raised an eyebrow at him. And nothing bad ever happened with old Eddie? Where's he at now, anyways? Ebright rolled a joint on the back of a DVD case for Kill Bill that he'd been trying to convince me for weeks to watch with him, but I was scraggly and scared and couldn't muster up the courage past the first scene after watching behind cracks in my fingers clenched around my eyes. He looked nonchalant as if telling a story from a TV show that he'd watched last night instead of his childhood that gone so awry. My father took him down to the Charles River 
and set him loose there a couple months later. A few years later, there was a news clipping online on BM5, and they said they caught a gator down there with a picture looking exactly like Eddie. My old man looks at the clipping and goes, That my gator? Black Cloves and Bad Habits This really isn't a habit you want to get into, said the blonde, wavy-haired stoner lighting a cigarette, as I clutched my second pack of cigarettes I ever had, naive with lungs not yet filled with a black tar coating. Black Clove Jarm Cigars My Tobacco of Choice standing outside the wooden fence that surrounded our high school. This isn't really a habit you want to get into, I told the first-time patients to the psychiatric ward, where I sat in the hospital gown, legs casually crossed, picking at a scab on my arm where the knife had incised earlier last week. And I laughed and wondered how long I'd been so cynical. This is a habit I'd like to get into. Your arms wrapped around mine weeks ago. Lying in a pile of navy blue sheets. Pressing kisses into places and making me feel blessed. A certain calm takes place. Nicotine gum. Comes at a price. But it's cheaper than the hospital bills that came late to my Aunt Sally who died of lung cancer last year. And the cigarettes triggered asthma and lowered the effects of schizophrenia medication, which didn't stop me from lighting up whenever he came around. He was a smoker since the age of 14, and he liked guns and hated the gays. And I could never. So we split in September, and then I went to a psychiatric ward again for the second time that year, which is where I met him. In June, I came home, and I'm calmer now. I need to be alone and enjoy my fleeting young adulthood. Your only memories left in photographs on my phone. It's a habit I should get into, I told my therapist. What is, she replies. I say, loving myself. When you are alone. When you are alone, every face looks like a new adventure. Even a waste of time is another step towards what could be waiting. The right thing. Any stranger on the street could lead you to find the one. Music is a sign. A clue. To help you open your heart and find out what the heavens have in store for you. When you're alone, the wall stares blankly at you as if it hasn't had its morning coffee and the wind blows harshly to remind you of the world 
when you're alone. You live in the past and the possibility of the future, and you scan all the moments of the present, looking for signs you could have missed. You open your arms wide to the world, waiting to be disappointed, and waiting for love on every street as they whisper their secrets of things you do not know. When you're alone, an opportunity to fall is an opportunity to fly. When you're alone, you take two or three showers a day to feel the hot spring of absolute feeling, soothing, endless bliss, and coffee is a life savior. It awakens your soul, tackling to the senses, saving you from all the prickling that attacks to your spine. And when you crawl into your bed at night, you close your eyes to remember when someone was there. When you're alone, you stare into the mirror, wondering what is wrong. Try to focus on what is right. And you remember you are Miss Thing. And you think of how the embodiment in the mirror is a curse because of all the men who've used you for that figure. And you stare up at the moon and its cosmic wisdom and pray to your savior in the galaxy to help you to please stop being alone. The footsteps are creaking towards my door. I'm sure, but I can't seem to pinpoint from where they are coming from. And now a few words from Taiwanese-American writer Lydia Tai. I write as not only a coping mechanism for my mental health, but also to express my creativity through the English language and interpret the world as I see it. I live in Framingham, Massachusetts. I am an unpublished author at this time, but looking forward to getting published someday. Thank you so much, Lydia, for submitting your work and for your patience as we try to bring creative drive to as many writers as possible. If you want to see more of Lydia's work, please feel free to follow her on Instagram and Twitter. I'm including the links in the description of this podcast episode. And once again, thank you for your consideration to submitting your work to the Creative Drive podcast. If you're out there and you need a boost, please consider this. We value your work. We need it now more than ever. Please continue to make art, make haste, and have a great day.